So we've been preaching through the last days of Jesus while he was on earth. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been going through the 27th chapter of Matthew, which is where the details of Jesus' betrayal, his trial, his arrest, his crucifixion are all detailed for us. If you've been a Christian for any length of time at all, you've probably heard a number of sermons. Typically, probably around the Easter time, uh, these come up on this chapter or the other books in the gospel that covers the, the crucifixion and arrest of Christ. But I would venture that all those messages were probably on the arrests and trials of Jesus, or maybe the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. The topic we're going to spend some time on this morning is on the actual burial of Jesus. We're familiar with the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we, we use that term and that phrase many times through a, a year. But we're, we very seldom have taken the time to actually study the second event in that phrase, the burial. The burial of Jesus is a very significant, important doctrine in Christianity. Admittedly, not as important as the death and resurrection, but important just as just the same. The Apostle Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, reminded the Corinthians of this fact when he said in chapter 15, the reading that I did earlier, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. What Paul has written here in 1 Corinthians are core doctrines of Christianity. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They are what makes us different from all the other major religions of the world. If you do not believe on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you cannot be a Christian. That is core doctrine to Christianity. While all the founders of these major religions have died and were buried, only Christianity can say that our founder, Jesus Christ, was raised from the dead. Buddha, he's gone. Don't even know if they know where his body was buried. Muhammad, he's gone. Abraham, the patriarch of, the, of Judaism, died and was buried. They know he was. Only Christianity can claim that their founder died, was buried, and raised from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important core doctrine and the single greatest miracle the world will ever know because it demonstrated Jesus' accomplished work on the cross, which redeems us, and his power over death, which brings us to victory and glory. 
BJ is going to preach on the resurrection next week, so I'm not going to go any further in that. Although, that's where we're headed through all these last sermons, is to the resurrection. The burial of Jesus must have been important to the writers of the Gospels because all four of them give similar amounts of space detailing just the burial of Jesus. So why is the burial of Jesus important for us to understand? What does it matter? Because he rose again. So why does it really matter that we understand the burial of Jesus? First of all, it confirms his death. You don't bury a living person. You bury a dead person. Let's pick up the story in Matthew 27, the 57th verse, and move through this together. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. We're briefly introduced to a man that this is the only time we ever hear of Joseph of Arimathea. And it's a brief introduction. There isn't much more to it. All four Gospels have a little bit on him. But we know that Joseph is a rich man. And we know that he is a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the supreme religious body in Israel at the time of Jesus. In some ways, they were like the Supreme Court over Israel. But they also had some legislative ability over them of, of dictating laws, religious laws primarily. So they were, they were the religious leaders and the leaders of the nation of Israel when they weren't under oppression by Rome or other countries. So Joseph is a prominent man in the nation of Israel, and he's a respected member of the Sanhedrin. He had a lot to lose by coming forward at this time and getting involved with Jesus. John tells us that Joseph did this in secrecy because he feared the Jews, and probably what he meant by that, the writer, uh, is the feared the Jewish leaders which he was one of. But the gospel state that Joseph was looking for the kingdom of God and that he had not agreed with the others in the Sanhedrin with their decision and actions to arrest and kill Jesus. The reading we just did tells us that he was a disciple of Jesus. He had become a follower of Jesus. So he approached Pilate to ask for the body of Jesus after he had died on the cross. This took place on the day of preparation, which would be the Friday before Sabbath. According to the Jewish rules at the time, all the bodies of the condemned people who had been killed on the crosses, who had been crucified, needed to be brought down and buried before the Sabbath. It was considered very important for the Jewish people to ensure that the bodies of a deceased 
Jew, uh, a deceased Jew to be properly buried and his or her body be handled respectfully and according to traditions. But for those condemned people who were crucified, many times their body was just taken down and buried in a potter's field somewhere. Probably with no markings. The shame of being one crucified probably kept your family from even claiming your body. You were just taken by the government and dumped in a grave. According to Roman traditions at the time, the Romans would just take them down and not even bother burying them. They would just throw them on the wayside or throw them in a ditch somewhere and not even cover them up and leave their bodies exposed to the wild animals. Those who were crucified were deemed to be the lowest of the low. So there was no real regard for their bodies. Bob and Ted have both spoken a bit on crucifixion and about how horrible a death that it usually is to the person who's accused and, and put on a cross. This death was usually a lengthy death sometimes taking many days for a person to finally die. And in most cases, once they were hung up on the cross, there wasn't any concern at all about taking their body down until they were dead. There was really no time issue in the the observers. John 19 tells us that the Jewish leaders went to Pilate and ask that the legs of the condemned be broken to rush their death so that the bodies can be removed from the crosses before the observance of the Sabbath. So there was a time uh, sequence here that is important for them because the, the, the Jewish people needed those bodies to be down for the, for the observance of the Sabbath. Which is kind of interesting. When these men are going to Pilate and asking for the body of the Lord of the Sabbath to be brought down so they can observe the Sabbath. Kind of a ironic situation going on there. Pilate did order this to take place. He allowed them to be brought down. While carrying out their orders, the soldiers came to the body of Jesus and to the cross that he was hanging on and saw that he was already dead. So they didn't break his legs as, if, as they would have if he was still living. So when Joseph went to Pilate to ask for Jesus' body, according to Mark 15, Pilate surprised that Jesus was already dead. Imagine what's going on in Pilate's mind here. When he turned Jesus over to the Jews to be killed, he probably thought this disaster has been resolved. That's over with. Those troublesome Jews, they can go deal with this and whoever this man is, and I'm finally done with this. But now here is a Jewish leader 
Joseph, who comes to him asking for Jesus' body. So Pilate is surprised because it usually takes longer for a person to die on the cross. And he sends for the centurion, who is probably the same centurion that we read in the story of the crucifixion, that had been in charge of conducting those the crucifixions that day with his soldiers that were under him. And they probably remained there all day or for whatever period of time to keep the peace. He's also probably the same centurion who witnessed the events of Jesus' death and exclaimed, truly, this man was the Son of God. That's probably who we're talking about here. Pilate wanted to confirm that Jesus was in fact dead. He didn't want to give the body of Jesus over to somebody unless he was dead. So he called this soldier who did state what he saw in that certified that Jesus was in fact dead. So Pilate granted permission for Joseph to take the body of Jesus. For Joseph to approach Pilate was a testimony to his courage. When all of Jesus' disciples had fled in fear and confusion at Jesus' death, Joseph stepped up and identified himself with him. Look again at Matthew 27. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his, in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. So Joseph... And according to John 19, which is one of the reasons why I provided you with that paper, there's a number of passages that deal with this same event from all four Gospels. So you don't always see everything in one reading. It's kind of helpful to see it by reading all of the presentations. But in John 19, he was assisted by Nicodemus. Familiar name to us. Nicodemus appeared earlier to Jesus by night, back in John chapter 3. But they took Jesus' body down and they wrap him, or they place him in a new tomb owned by Joseph, and then they prepare his body for burial by wrapping it in linen cloth soaked in spices. Seventy-five pounds of spices were used. I don't know if that hit you kind of odd, but... That sounds like a lot of spices. John MacArthur actually says that this was a very large amount of spices and that this quantity would have probably more likely been used on royalty. And it was. The king of kings is being prepared. Joseph, Nicodemus, and we see from this reading that Mary Madeline and the other Mary were all present. And I would assume that the two Marys probably helped in the preparation. They weren't probably just sitting there the whole time. To help wrap Jesus' body up in the soaked spices and prepare his body for burial. And when they had completed their work, 
they rolled a large rock into place before the entrance, which was to basically keep the wild animals out, but also to maybe deter thieves and other people from grave robbing, that type of thing. When this tomb was built, being that it was a new tomb, probably part of the building of it was to place a large stone there to be used once there was a body in it. So it wasn't like they had to go looking for this stone. It was already present. It was there. They just had to roll it in place. As this story has unfolded, we see that there are already a number of people who, were, who have confirmed that Jesus is in fact dead. Most of them had no idea that that's what was taking place. They were just carrying out their responsibilities or duties. Those who were named are Joseph, the centurion, Pilate, Nicodemus, the two Marys. All of them were involved and confirmed that Jesus was in fact dead. And this doesn't even include many others, such as the the other soldiers that were under the centurion. The centurion isn't probably the one doing the labor. He has junior soldiers that are under his command that are doing these things. They would have been present. Attendance to Pilate. He probably had people taking care of his needs even when Joseph was there talking to him. So there were other people present. But all of these were convinced that Jesus was dead and he was given over to be buried. In the reading that we've done, there was no indication, there was no reason for us to think that any one of them thought that Jesus Christ was still alive. Nothing leads us to that. The burial of Jesus assures us that Jesus was really dead and that his resurrection that would follow was a true resurrection. It furnishes undeniable proof that Jesus was truly dead. This is important because one of the arguments that have been given over the years says that Jesus really didn't die on the cross. That he eventually just fainted from exhaustion. And the people took him off the cross and took him away secretly and revived him and and nursed him back to health. So he never really died on the cross. Not one of these people would agree with that. Not one of them. The story of Christ's crucifixion is no cleverly spun tale. Christ really did die, and all who witnessed his death, friends and foes, affirm that fact. There's people involved here that had no reason to lie. No reason at all. But that's not all that we learn in this passage. Look again at Matthew 27. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day. 
lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate just can't get rid of this issue. Now here comes more people coming to him about this person Jesus again. Now the chief priests and Pharisees go to them and ask about Jesus. But amazingly, in their act, in what they're doing, again confirms the death of Jesus with their words and actions. The chief priests and the Pharisees thought Jesus was dead too. And they remembered what Jesus said earlier in his ministry. And I used this in evidence, if you remember, against him at his trials. That he said, destroy the temple and in three days I will raise it up. That's John 2.19. The religious leaders seem to have understood what Jesus meant when he said this originally. This was early in the, like the first year of his ministry on earth that when he, when he was actually out, uh, discipling. It's possible that, that at that time, even his disciples did not understand what he meant when he said that. But the leaders of Israel did. Not that they, believed it, but they understood it. They knew what he was saying. More importantly, they are convinced that Jesus is dead and they wanted to make sure that he stayed that way. They wanted to prevent the last fraud. They wanted to prevent his body being taken away so that people can go, see, Jesus is alive. They were concerned that now that Jesus' body was buried, his disciples would come and steal his body away and tell the people that he had risen from the dead. And to prevent this, they asked Pilate for a guard to be placed on the tomb to watch over it. You know what the leaders of Israel are most afraid of? Jesus' resurrection. That's what they're afraid of. So Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. There are a couple of theories about who the guards are here. The most common, the one that I grew up always hearing, was that they were Roman soldiers. That's always never seemed to ring true in the sense of my understanding of military and, and uh, my, my dealings with reading history with Roman guards and all. That just didn't seem to me to make sense. James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary doesn't believe that Pilate 
gave Roman guards. And I, I agree with him. The thought that they were Roman guards do help the argument about how disciplined and attentive they would be in carrying out their duties. And that's what people are usually um, focusing on when they're talking about these people, that surely these men, Roman soldiers, would never fall asleep and would carry out their duties to the end. So that's who these people were. Because they also understand that it was a very disciplined, uh, hard service to be a Roman soldier and had responsibilities. That they would carry out their duties and make sure that the body of Jesus was not taken away while they were there. That would be their assignment that they would have carried out. In fact, if they had fallen asleep as the Jewish leaders convinced the the guard of claiming and that his disciples came and stole the body away, Roman soldiers would have been put to death. I'm not thinking a Roman soldier would have put their neck on the line for some Jews that they despise anyway to claim that they fell asleep and the body was taken away. I just don't see that happening. I'm not convinced that the Jewish leaders persuaded them to do this. I believe it's more likely that the guard were Jewish temple guards that were under the control of the Jewish leaders. The temple had its own guard, its own soldiers. We even hear about the captain of the guard. Temple guard would have a captain over over the the, the shift or the the time that they would be there. More importantly, the Jewish leaders would have been able to influence them to lie. And the leaders would have been in a better position to protect them when they were questioned. So that makes a lot more sense to me. But this doesn't mean that the temple guard would have fallen asleep and allowed this to happen. They would have carried out their duties too. It's just that now that this body is gone, they're following the direction of the leaders to stick to their story. But regardless of which military guard was used, the guard was posted and a seal was placed on the stone blocking the entrance to indicate to everyone that no one was to tamper with the tomb. Matthew Henry, one of the commentators that I use frequently, suggests that Pilate's response was was he was either laughing at the leaders for their folly, saying, imagine setting a guard to watch a dead man, or more likely he was mocking them for their fears. It's as if he was saying, do your best, but if he be of God, he will rise in spite of you and your guard. Charles Spurgeon later thought the words meant the same thing. He agreed with Matthew Henry. 
The second reason that Jesus' burial is important is that the details of his burial fulfilled scriptures. There are two key prophecies concerning Jesus' burial. There's a lot of prophecies dealing with his death, burial, and resurrection. There's two in particular that specifically deal with his burial. One in the Old Testament, and one was spoken by Jesus before his death. Isaiah 53.9 says, And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. The whole chapter of Isaiah 53 is devoted to the death of Christ. Isaiah lived about 700 years before Jesus was born. That's when that prophecy was written. John 12:41 says of Isaiah that he said these things because he saw his glory, and spoke of him. Amazing, but here is one of the things that Isaiah foresaw, very precise detail that had been made, that his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. And that's why it was important that Matthew felt that he needed to add this detail to verse 57, describing Joseph of Arimathea as a rich man. He didn't put it there because he was a rich man and was trying to give him some kind of honor. Matthew, if you remember, wrote his gospel, wrote his letter to a Jewish audience to convince them that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. This detail is important to them, to the Jews, to identify the Messiah. All the prophecies had to come true. If one of them did not come true, that was spoken, then that would negate who this person is. All of it has to come true. It was assigned to Jesus to be put to death with criminals, and in a human understanding he would have been put in a criminal grave. But that's not what happened. He was with a rich man at his death. At the time of Isaiah's writing, it would have been very hard for someone to read that and understand just what the prophecy would have meant. It's not until we get to Jesus' death that clarity is given to us where we can see what it meant. The other prophecy was spoken by Jesus in Matthew 12. There he said of himself, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus was very explicit with his words. A lot of detail there. Jesus predicted that there would be three days and three nights between his death and resurrection. Not only that it would be three days, but that he would be buried 
three days. In the heart of the earth. So here we have two very specific prophecies concerning Jesus' burial. That he was to be with a rich man at his death and he would be buried three days. And God used this man, Joseph of Aramea, to fulfill these prophecies as his human instrument. Little did Joseph know that. So Joseph gives testimony to the fact that he is dead and buried and that he is the Messiah. While there is more that we can learn from these passages, I just want you to leave today with those two main facts. The burial of Jesus confirms his death. And the burial, the details of the burial, fulfills prophecy, fulfills scripture. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. Matthew Henry wrote that Jesus was buried to make his death the more certain and his his resurrection the more illustrious. You're invited to come back next week and hear the story of his resurrection with us. To God be the glory. As we celebrate communion together weekly to remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, that Paul, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's what we observe from week to week as we fellowship together in communion. And we look forward with every observance of this ordinance to the day when we will celebrate it again with Jesus who said that he won't do it again until that day in the future. I hope that you are part of that. So ushers, please uh, pass out the elements. We ask you if 